Welcome to World Oil's Oil Field Electrification Technology Podcast, sponsored by Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's oil field for tomorrow's energy. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're here for our final episode of Season 1 of the Oil Field Electrification Technology Podcast. And so we have some special guests we're going to be talking to today, but first off, you haven't seen him yet because this is the first time we're doing this on video, but there he is. Yep. Shane Hackenberg. Hello. There you go. See? So the, the face for radio rings true, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is There was a reason why we weren't doing That's video right. earlier. That's right. <laughs> so all your subscribers, all two of them are going to go down probably by 50% after seeing this. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Our guests today are from NOV, and we're going to be talking about EFRAC, you know, the state of the market today and what we think the future of that is. And these gentlemen are experts. Let's introduce ourselves. So, Ryan Schupach, I'm a sales director for our pressure pumping and cementing division, which includes our Rolagon manufacturing facility where we make our ideal EFRAC system. Nice. Travis Bolt, director of FRAC Technologies for NOV, primarily focused in pressure pumping, but wireline quilt tubing. Excellent. So, you guys are subject matter experts in the world of EFRAC then? We are something. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely participants for sure. We are are here. Participants. (laughs) All right, so Shane, man, you're the question man. Throw us, a, throw us a good question and get things rolling. Okay, well, you know, when we first got started roughly about a year ago, today, as a matter of fact, in this very place that we're at, at the Blend Bar, by the way, we should give them a nod because we've always done that starting out with the Blend Bar where you can get cigars and, you know, various high-end whiskeys and, and bourbons. And, and very important, this right here. Because there you go. Fifth anniversary. We're at the Blend Bar where we always record, but their fifth anniversary is coming up, and that's on February 9th. So if you want a very special night of cigars and whiskey, Shane, you already signed up for that, didn't you? Uh, yep. All I'm right. be here. So here's the deal. Just call this number. Nope, that's not right. Call. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It's a weird, it's not a phone number. Is that a phone number? Call 791 I don't know. It might be a text. It might be a text. I don't know. Anyway, call the Blend Bar. (laughs) Tell them you want to come down and you want to be participating in their fifth anniversary extravaganza. So now, back to our show. Yeah, back to to the real thing, right? So, no, I mean, a year ago, we started this venture and we started out with, you know, thinking about electrification in general, right? Because, you know, on our side, on the motor side is, and not to dumb it down, but it's probably one of the easiest parts of the solution, trading horsepower and torque from what's conventional out there and changing that into, you know, AC electric, right? But at the end of the day, all the other things that go into electric frack and electrification is where the magic is happening. So we've had the opportunity to talk to guys that are involved with power generation, looking at renewables, hydrogen, and controllers, and controls, uh, and uh, water, you know, water technology and stuff. And so to have, you know, these guys on Rolagon is tremendous because true story in 2014, these guys were the first guys we signed an NDA with. Wow. I mean, literally one of the first guys that we signed an NDA with. And so I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say because I'm pretty bullish on where EFRAC is going. And so I'd like to hear you know, from you guys where you guys think the market is going moving forward because I'm sure you have a pretty good idea with the customers you're working with, with your technologies. And so I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Well, yeah. So we definitely see the market for EFRAC and even all alternative energy sources mm-hmm. right now seem to be ripe. And the market is getting to the point where everybody's getting enough returns where it's becoming 
something real for these guys to be able to go out and actually look at the procurement of these alternative sources, ideal EFRAC being one of those. Sure, sure. So in, in terms of, so, I mean, that was the, always the big, there was two big objections in the EFRAC world, right? And I hope you guys agree with this. One is the cost to generate power on site in the unknown part of like, well, how does that work, right? And what that cost. And the other thing was the IP landscape. So in terms of both, you're, what you guys are saying, what you said, Ryan, was basically that you're starting to really understand not only the cost of generating power, but really the delta between going conventional and going electric and what that ROI truly is now, right? I think one of the things that you know has changed in the last 24 months is when we first, everybody started looking at EFRAC, everybody used to think PowerGen had to be part of the pumping solution. And now we're seeing companies like VoltaGrid and Lifecycle and others sort of stand up. And what that has done is allowed pressure pumpers to focus strictly on pressure pumping. What you're good at. And what they're good at. Yep. And then, you know, you sort of bifurcate the power gen out of it. And so where it was maybe a more complex question for our customers 18 months ago, it's now becoming a little bit more simpler. And I think the other thing that's really changing the dynamics a lot as well is is the cost of conventional equipment continues to rise. And so what was considered a premium price point for performance is slowly not becoming quite the premium that it once was. And so I think it opens up a lot of opportunities for folks to get into it. And I mean, I think one of the things that we find that's happening, when we got into the EFRAC space, we thought everything was going to be full fleet, right? You go electric, mm-hmm. you go electric. But what we're seeing is, is there's now some folks who are starting to dabble in it and trying to mix electric in with conventional yep. equipment and giving themselves an ESG boost. They're also giving themselves a fuel savings boost, things along those lines. And so, and EMPs are signing up for it. And so, you know, I think where we originally thought the way EFRAC was going to be taken into the market is, is slowly changing, which is good. I think it makes it more accessible for your midsize or your smaller guys yep. to get into a more complex technology, but advanced technology that gives a lot of benefit. Mm. Very, very interesting. So with that being said, I mean, there's been a couple of things that I've been kind of touching on in the last couple of podcasts. One is that one of the prohibiting factors if somebody is going to adapt to EFRAC is the limited power availability, right? Would you guys agree that that's a concern in the marketplace right now? It is and it isn't. And, okay, and well, I'm glad that, to hear that. What I, what I refer to is the EFRAC build cycle is relatively long, right? Right. So if you're asking the power questions at the same time, you're asking what's the technology that you want, that you can get to the same ending point at a similar timeline. So I don't think it's nobody has EFRAC sitting on the sideline looking to go to work tomorrow, right? So the power gen has some time to accommodate and come up to speed. So I think it is is something that we'll continue to see, but I think we're also seeing continued investment into power gen space in big numbers. So I think power gen will come right along with the EFRAC market. Well, you know, and I hope that's the truth, and I believe it is, right? And I'm not going to put you on the spot as far as, you know, what it, how long you guys are going to be to deliver an EFRAC spread. But where I'm going with this is talking with Burns and Mac, which we had on for two episodes, when it comes to total demand. So, you know, you've got a EFRAC market that by the year 2030 is projected to equate to about two-thirds of the industry, right? Which, if that's true, and let's say the number is 300 EFRACs out there, right, or FRAC spreads in general, that's going to be roughly 200 EFRAC spreads. We're, you know, maybe 10, 15% there right now, maybe 20, 30% what's being built right now. But in terms of power, we can't just tie that into the grid. 
So that means, you know, it's 30 megawatts worth of power, roughly, that it takes to operate an EFRAC spread. And so if you take that out by the year 2030, we need like six gigawatts of power. So I asked Burns and Mac, and I said, I said, hey, so what, in terms of electrification of the oil field, what does that look like for you and your scope? What percentage of that in your scope? And they said, that's, we're 5X over that. So they're talking about bringing 30 to 35 gigawatts of power online by the year 2030. And that's where I was kind of going with the power constraints because they're not going to be able to build all that and have the infrastructure in place. So I see, you know, stuff like MPU, like the guys like, you know, Dynamis and RPS, they're going to kind of bridge that gap while they're building out once they're ready to go online. I don't think they're going to be ready to just, you know, turn a switch on the grid. And that's kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. I still think you end up with a hybrid system. I mean, eventually, can you build a system that can, a grid that can support EFRAX solely? Maybe if it's an EMP owned power system, but the public sector will never allow you to turn 30 megawatts on and off, yeah, right, right? On a regular basis. So I turning think- on is one thing, turning <laughs> off is the <laughs> yes, other, right? Turning yeah. off is the problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think you're going to end up with a hybrid solution right. of, you know, obviously the lowest cost and the cleanest solution comes from the grid, right? Because yep. you can run combined sure. cycle, right? right? You're 60% efficient. You're very high efficiency. It's the best place to get power, yep. most reliable place to get power for sure. But the size and scale of EFRAC makes it makes it a challenge. Yeah. And so, you know what? I need to go back real quick. I'm going to show these guys some love. Also, VoltaGrid is part of that equation. They're a big supporter of EFRAC. Yep. I mean, they're powering a lot of the horsepower out there right now currently. So, no offense, VoltaGrid. Love you. <laughs> So, yeah. So what do you guys see like as the biggest challenges going forward? Is it the build times and supply chain issues or is it, I mean, what's the major problem? So we got the actual securing of electricity. Yeah, that could be a throttle on the industry, but is there anything else? I would say right now we're still at that teetering point of a lot of customers wanting to commit major CapEx dollars. You know, they're still at the point of can I afford to even do replacement fleets in a lot of instances? So to go out and say, I'm going to build a new dedicated electric fleet, it's a big ask for a lot of these guys. It's coming. And I think this year may be the year where a lot of that starts to transition. But that's one of the big things is the CapEx dollars where it's coming from has been one of the things we've seen recently as being one of the major holdups. I think the very bullish folks in technology, you're already in EFRAC. They've bitten off. Sure. So now it's the fast followers. It's the more conservative organizations. And I think they have more questions around the technology. I think they still look at it from a purchasing a fleet from an OEM. There's a big difference between a vertically integrated company developing their own technology versus going out and buying something from a company that's building it for you. And I think that's where sort of the midsize or the more conservative organizations are sort of still, they're still circumspect about what is the solution in the future. And what makes sense, and, and that can come down to another number of different things, whether it's EFRAC, which is, say they choose EFRAC, but even inside the world of EFRAC, there's a number of different options that you can choose about right. how you try to slice and dice that. And you're talking about a big, significant investment, a seven-year asset, at least maybe a 10-year asset. So you have to make some pretty smart decisions so that you're not setting yourself up for challenges down the road, right? So I think it's, and that's why I think we see this sort of this, Putting electric out with conventional is a way for them to start dipping their toe into it, understanding it, seeing that technology. And I think that will help because it reduces the big CapEx up front, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to spend, you know, whatever the number is to get out there. And and they get get the bannings. So they get started. 
EMPs get comfortable with it. Operators get comfortable with it. So. Yeah. So let me ask you this, you know, back in looking at the rig market, how it evolved from mechanical to SCR, DC, now AC, and you guys were obviously instrumental in most of the iron out there. It has your signature and your brand on it, right? If not all of it, you know, most of it does. And do you see that being adopted kind of the same way with fracking moving forward at some point? Oh, I think so. There's two things that I think are very clear about EFRAC. One is the technical advantages are significant in the drilling where you're trying to do controlled mechanical processes, things like that. It added a lot to the equation. I think you're going to see the same in electrification of fracking equipment, wireline, quill tubing, all the rest of those things in that they're going to take what was traditionally a mechanically hydraulic process and mature it into where it can take advantage of electrical systems, mm-hmm. right? You know, we see it in pressure pumping and doing pressure tests, right? Where we traditionally in a mechanical system, you have an inertia, you have an engine that's running, you bump up against it. It's not really the most controlled way. When you do it with electric, well, now I just apply torque and I just simply arm wrestle up to my pressure where I need to know. So there's no inertia in the system, things like that. And that's just the start of the things that are going to come with it. So I think electrification offers that unique of all the different alternative energy technologies out there, electricity offers the greatest controllability and feedback. So I think you're going to see something like we saw with rigs where we're going to transition to that. Well, as a motor guy, I'm pretty excited to have you say that. (laughs) So I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I feel like the same thing. I mean, you know, when we first started getting involved and looking at EFRAC, you know, that it was kind of the synopsis was, and the idea was it'd be like 20 to 30% would be the adoption of EFRAC versus conventional. But now that seems to be completely inversed. And to hear you say that that could be at some point, you know, maybe not by the year 2030, but at some point, everything will be just completely automated and, you know, moving electrons one way or the other to work these, move these assets, yeah, I, operate these assets. I don't know if I would go that far, honestly. Certainly, if rig, grid power becomes available for the broad scale, it does. I think there's, of what we see in, in general in technologies right now, is moving to natural gas as a fuel source. Sure. So any system that allows you to take advantage of natural gas and the glut that we get in the shale fracturing sure. process is going to have a place. And just like, you know, there's tier two, there's tier four. Every organization is going to have their flavor. They're going to do what they think fits their organization better. Do I think within... The next 15 years will be 100% electric? No, okay. I don't think so. Can it be a majority? Sure. All right. I think give me, it can be a give majority. Me, give me a percentage. I want to hear it. I wouldn't. Here's the crystal ball. Here's the crystal ball. We're going to hold you to it. Oh, come on. I saw some numbers back <laughs> in 2019, and you know, I can't remember who did the survey. And, you know, if everybody had their way, they would like to see 50% market share electric by 2025 or 2027 or something like that. Well, that'd be tremendous compared to where we are right now. Yeah. And, you know, is it north of that? Is it south of that? The technology will bear that out. I think we're seeing economics improve. I think we're seeing the technology prove itself. So I think there's a ton of upside. There's not a lot of downside with electrification. Yep. And I would say just the market in general, if you look, you know, I haven't been in the industry that long. I think it's only been about 20 years. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, he's being a little facetious here. <laughs> but when you look at it, I'd say technology in the last five years has gone exponential compared to what we've yeah. seen in our industry over that previous time. And what we're getting out of our customers and what they're being able to produce on the stimulation side, you know, we went from fracking daylight hours to, okay, you now we're 24-hour operations and then we went from there, we went to start doing, you know, doing zipper manifolds right. and doing that, which 
changed the whole frack count for our right. industry again. Then we went to simul fracks, which is now shifting that again. So where do we get that next level of efficiency? And that's where these new technologies really are going to help drive that next level because, you know, there's only so much more we can squeeze out of how much you can actually be pumping a day. And this is one of those technologies I think helps get you there. Yeah. You know, I kind of look at it like you had, you had the pioneers, you had us wells and the evolution, right? So that was, let's call that the first generation. What we're kind of involved in talking with is maybe the second generation. So I think, but I think we've got, you know, just kind of paralleling to the rig industry and we're still refining drilling holes and we're still getting better and better and better at putting, you know, of actually drilling holes in the ground. I think we're just on the start of refining, you know, the next iteration of what's going to be electric frack. I mean, I see a third generation, a fourth generation as we kind of hone in on the sweet spot between CapEx and OpEx return, right? Would you guys agree with that kind of sentiment? Yeah, wholeheartedly. And I would pinpoint it even more. I think pump technology is what's got to evolve. Right. Right. So you go in conventional frack and it's maybe 60% maintenance on the fluid end, power end, and 40% on your prime mover go to electric and it, all of your maintenance dollars now move to the pump. Now yep. it's a huge focal point, right? Yep. And then, you know, talking about efficiency and how do we drive that? And, and obviously we have a pretty strong feeling about higher horsepower pumps help us achieve that. We've seen that play out in TCO models and things along mm-hmm. those lines. But I think what this evolution is going to drive is, is the next evolution in pump technologies, which will then drive the next level of efficiency. And it, I mean, we're progressing daily. Yeah. So, might be putting you on the spot again, and if I am, you can politely decline. But I mean, so what is that? What do you think the sweet spot is for horsepower on pumping? Where do you see that going, or do you? If you could have anything you wanted, I don't. <laughs> Five thousand, six thousand, maybe. Yeah. I mean, we're still talking about you know twenty-five to forty thousand horsepower on location. Right. That's start, not going to change. That's not going to change necessarily. The number of units you have, it's still. The process, it's quite amazing how much sand and water we move through these pumps right. already. Yep. It's an incredibly torturous process to these pumps. It is. So you're not going to change that dynamic. So ultimately, I don't think you're going to get down to where you only have three or four pumps on location. No. But I think there is a reasonable number where 20 is probably too many. <laughs> Five is probably too little, right? Okay. So it's probably somewhere in that middle and, you know, may the best pump technology win. Right. We're pulling for you boys, right? Well, thanks. We, 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 we need all we're we pulling can get for, for you, sure. and then we're pulling but, for the pump guys as well because yeah, yeah. we've invested a lot in trying to marry up the horsepower to drive those pumps. So yeah, yeah. we feel like that's an opportunity as well. Well, awesome, guys. Thanks so much for dropping by and talking with Shane and I on this final episode. And who knows, you know, maybe next year we'll be here at HFTC doing this again, and we'll see how all of this talk about the future is panning out. And we'll find out that Travis is a soothsayer. That he has the crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, well. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, we'll reti- I'll retire at that point. <laughs> yep. All yeah. right, thank Thanks, you guys. guys. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. All right, everybody. Welcome back. As you can see, we are once again at our favorite place to record, the Blend Bar. It's beautiful. You can see that. Nice chairs. Now they get to see some of the boardroom that we've exactly, been talking about, Exactly, right? This is the boardroom. This is not just the Blend Bar. This is the secret sanctum of the Blend Bar. So, as usual, if you're in the Woodlands, Come down here, come for lunch. Their food's fantastic, and stay for the cigars and whiskey because that's also fantastic. 100%. Yep, no, it's awesome. But we're here for the Hydraulic Fracturing Technology Conference, and abbreviated, that's HFTC. This is kind of where we started this whole thing last year, right, Shane? We did, you know, and it's great to actually 
on our 10th episode now to be back here kind of wrapping things up in regards to electrification of the oil field and specifically with electric frack. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, I just want to throw out some thank yous real quick, if you're okay with that. Yeah, sure, man. So first off, I'd like to thank our equity guys, Argosy. They've been a great partner for us for a long term, maybe longer than they care <laughs> to, for, for that to be. But, you know, they've been gracious and supported us and they've given me the opportunity to do this and kind of expand our horizons and look at different ways to talk to the audience and you know i'd like to thank joliet electric motors not only as a title sponsor but you know for supporting me and for allowing me the opportunity with a long leash to go out and try to focus on the electric frack market lastly i'd like to thank world oil and i'd like to thank you (laughs) because i mean you're a consummate professional you're really talented at what you do and i hope that you know this moving forward is something that lasts a long time and we continue to talk about innovative technology and how wonderful the oil and gas industry is yeah, well, I'll tell you, while we're handing out, you know, congratulations and thank right. yous and all of that stuff, you guys too, Shane, because it takes, I mean, this is one of the things about Joliet, right? You guys had the foresight years ago we to did. like shift off of the drilling and start concentrating on the frack market. And, you know, after years and years of hard work, you see that coming to fruition, your hard work. Yep. And, you know, having you guys as sponsors and you as co-host in particular has really been beneficial because you're so connected in the industry. I mean, you know, bringing the guests on and talking about interesting topics in oil field electrification. It's just been fantastic. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been great, man. And I appreciate that, you know, and Moving forward, I mean, it's an exciting space for us, especially because as, you know, people are talking about electrons, I mean, one way to do that and to optimize, you know, stuff like prime movers would be, you know, utilize an AC traction motor and ROM at Hitachi has been tremendous. I mean, we've got a long-term relationship with those guys going back to the mid seventies Yeah, and, you know, to bring guys on, you know, not only we haven't always been just talking and specifically focused on the motor side of things. I mean, we've had guys on like Doc with RPS, right. talking about you know mobile power units. We've had RPT with Trevor, talking about hydrogen. We've had you know energy storage people on. We've had guys with Echo ITI talking about you know what are we going to do with produced water, and to be able to have those type of conversations with high level and truly talented people that are really innovating and really moving the industry forward and producing the best product we can as cleanly and as as efficiently as we can. It's tremendous for me to have the opportunity to interface with those guys. And this has been a great platform. So for anybody moving forward that wants to look and explore this opportunity with World Oil, I would greatly recommend it because it's been very fruitful for us. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And so today to wrap up, we're going to talk to some folks here at HFTC, right? Yeah, we are. You know, I mean, you know, basically folks that are walking around, I think, I think Rollagon's going to stop by. I think maybe Python and Grizzly guys and, you know, whoever walks in and, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can, we can wrap this thing up and, you know, and celebrate it. Yep. Excellent. Well, all right. Well, let's see who we can get. Yep. Sounds good, man. Appreciate you. All right, Shane. Yeah. Going at it still. Last day of the Hydraulic Fracturing Technology Conference. Absolutely. And now we're over at Kirby Ice House, enjoying the hospitality of our friends at Universal. Yeah, but we have David Leeper from GD. So tell us, David, what are you thinking? Well, actually, I'm going to let Shane ask the questions because Shane's been on a roll today. Oh, boy. <laughs> you wouldn't believe this. Big right? surprise there. No, no, no. He's, he's been... He's come into his own just today about, oh, just about today? guiding yeah. conversations. No, really. I mean, well, I've been Shane a, was kind of a I've background a, guy. I've been but. efficiently and effectively socially lubricated. So, yeah, yeah. Good, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so, David, you know, we have a 
pretty long history together. What do you but do? the first thing I'd like to do is just, you know, maybe just tell the folks listening in a little bit about yourself and your experience in the oil field, and we'll kind of get to the good stuff here. Be happy to. Absolutely. I'm a native Houstonian. Yep. And started in the marketing business to oil and gas businesses back in the 80s and got into packaging, fabrication on the drilling side. Oh, okay. With Dynafab and then NRG Manufacturing, which All everybody right, yeah. knows who that is or was. <laughs> and uh, still it is. It's still it is. still it is. Yeah. yeah and for sure. was AF Global and so forth. But did that till 2012. And then in 2013, early 2014, GD came. That Gardner never at that time right. came and asked me to come work with them. And I was, we had bought their product left and right when, at NRG. And right. that was an easy putt. And I said, great, I'm on. Sign me up. Nice. So I've been here ever since. Wow. Wow. So That's impressive. I, I didn't know all this time. I didn't know you were a native Houstonian, man. That's they something. That is, right. a, that is a claim well, to fame. You know, right the accent, right, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That's yeah. legit, man. It's yeah. organic. Yeah. So, but here's the thing, like, and this is a unique thing. And I'm going to put David on the spot, but, you know, if it wasn't for David, David introduced me to NRG, uh-huh. which is really how we got our start in electric frack. Really? That's and right. so, I yep. mean, that's the God's honest truth. And I, wow. really, I wow. really appreciate that introduction. Yep. yep. Yeah. He threw caution in the wind. He introduced me to those guys. And the rest is history. Now we're sitting here on a couch oh, at like, the Kirby was, Ice House. Like, what was I thinking, right? Yeah, well, you, know, <laughs> you obviously compromised at that point or something. That's you, right. You weren't thinking clearly. No, but, no. but, you know, in retrospect, I really appreciate that introduction. Because it's really, it's really been an it's amazing journey. It's full journey. circle, hasn't it? It really has. Yeah. It really has. So I thank you for that. That's right. Absolutely. That. Yep. Very welcome. Yep. Thank you. That's wild. So, hey, tell us what we're talking about today. This is our last episode of season one of the oil-filled electrification inaugural. technology. The inaugural. Right. Exactly. Inaugural, yeah. And so what we're trying to do to wrap things up, because we kind of started with EFRAC, we're coming back to that. And so we are talking about, you know, what do we see going forward in the market? I mean, you guys, your pumps are on, I mean, everyone? Oh, no, not everyone. No, but a lot on, of them. They're on a lot. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. What and percentage? They, what they percentage? have a lot of NDAs, too. <laughs> yes, we do. We've got to be careful there for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what percentage, roughly, do you think? Um, on EFRAC? EFRAC, yeah. EFRAC, probably very small amount right now. Probably 2 to 5%. Oh, okay. Okay. So, very small huh. amount. We have a lot in the pipe pipeline right now right yeah so yeah, we're yeah. excited about that yeah there's a lot of fleets i mean we've been talking to a lot of people today i've heard numbers from 30 to 40 fleets coming online this year yes. right yep wow well not that many but close really and yeah. and what's your what's your guess what's your oh, estimate? i'm guessing probably probably 10 to 15 10 to 15 okay. probably be yeah. realistic yeah uh, hopefully more we want more <laughs> obviously for the but, for this year in yeah production? for this year yeah yeah but you know it's a matter of money it's a matter of, of, of technology getting on board, getting them uh, worked on, and getting them operating in the field, that's, that's the most important thing because it's a new product. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah really, really. Well, they're pushing the horsepower envelope, right? I mean, we're talking about maximum horsepower on a trailer right now, and so these guys are they're out there right now field testing, and that horsepower range is where I mean, we're pushing 5,000 horsepower. Yeah, and you guys are you, you guys were first to market with five thousand horsepower pump, right? We were, yeah, yeah, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the Thunder, That's right? Correct. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, do you, do you see an uptake in that now? Now that these, you know, five thousand horsepower, we do, electric we do, we see the amount of product that's out there that can power those pumps is there, and we're very excited. There's at least one or two other companies that have a pump that does that, uh-huh. so we're super excited about yep. the, about the industry. We're positioned well with our Thunder plus our 2500s and our 3000s. 
all of those pumps can take whatever they can give, whatever the power they can give to them. Right. The bread and butter is still the 2500s. Right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, absolutely. That's all right. That's so do you see that changing? Though, do you see that evolving to like one day where it's all going to be five thousands, or what does that look I like? I don't. I don't think so. I think the 2500 HDFs that we have, even combined on one trailer, with yep. two on one trailer, which is being done now to some degree, and no, I think the 2500s are going to stay around okay. for a long time because they're so versatile and flexible in how they operate. And you can put two on one trailer if you need to. And the majority of the customers that are out there want a smaller pump. The number one, they're lightweight and they're flexible and you can work on them a lot easier. They're less expensive to operate. The Thunder 5000 is a complete different animal. Right, yeah. It's, I mean, so you, it's a beast. It's, it's a, a beast. beast. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. Was that, well, which one did they have on the new Grizzly rig? I was out there and I saw that. That's which the Thunder. That's the Thunder. That's a 5000 on it there. It is. Yes, sir. Yeah, wow. Yep. That, that's crazy. That's, a, that's cool, crazy. that's a cool unit. Yeah, it is. Is it? Yeah. That's yeah. a fun unit. It sure is. Hey, well, you, know, you know what's crazy? I'm going to, excuse me for interjecting real quick, but what's really amazing is that from a market standpoint, Joliet with GD, we were the, I mean, how long ago did we start doing the test beds and, and chasing that high horsepower pump? I mean, it's been like oh, five, six, seven, eight uh, years. At least. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's how long it's been that these guys have been testing that, those pumps at those higher horsepower and those higher flow rates. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and fortunately, we were, I mean, that's basically how we got in the industry is we were in the forefront with it, with them testing it and using our motors to actually drive those pumps and, right. and see what those pumps would actually do. That's interesting. That is because, you know, I mean, developing those things before there was really a demand. I mean, that takes a little bit of vision, right? Because you're like, yes. hey, we see this horsepower increase. We see the power increase coming. Let's get in front of that curve, right? Correct, right. Yeah. right. And it was, a, it was a pretty short putt with us because the Thunder 5000 was a byproduct of the GD3000. Right, okay. It's a triplex pump. It's 11-inch stroke. It's got the same gearbox, same power frame and everything else, but we turned it to a quint with 11-inch stroke, and mm. we saw that as the future because the GD3000 is so popular. It still operates now in all the regions. It's a workhorse. It's a fantastic pump, so why not put five cylinders or five bores in it and let it work at a higher pressure right. and, and higher volume, yep. and it's worked out great. Our engineers did a great job yep. in, in seeing that way ahead of time. And on top of that, they also addressed the gearbox ratio to optimize the motor, so we're able to yep. supply you know, true 5,000 horsepower to their pump. But with a different gearbox ratio than what happens in the conventional yep. market, we're able to optimize the motor, meaning that we can spin it a little bit faster yep. with a little higher gearbox ratio and, you know, make the solution as lightweight and robust as possible yep. on a, on a on trailer. Yep. yep. Direct, so, direct drive changes all that. That's exactly right. Yep. You're absolutely right. Yep. So do you see that trend continuing? I mean, you know, down the road, are we going to see six, 7,000 horsepower mm, motors and question. pumps? Right now, no. From but, a motor standpoint, I hope so, but no. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I think that right now, yeah, you know, but we can't even cap out a five thousand horsepower right now. Realistically, oh, okay, runs, yeah. they're going to run at forty five hundred, forty eight, give or take, on a regular basis. They're not designed to run at full load, right? Hundred percent load anyway. So yes, I think eventually you're going to see some higher horsepower come, but that's going to be like just like the twenty five hundred went to five thousand. It was quite a few years yep. before we're in the stage we're in right yep. now. So yeah, and I, you'll be retired by then. You're damn right. <laughs> he's already he's already retired. He's exactly right. No, but I see I, I do see it happening because everything like in drilling, it's going up to ten thousand. At least they're talking about it. Right. So and we get those questions all the time. So we're in both markets. So we see this more and more and more and more. All so the time. you know, like what we were talking about earlier, Jim. You know, where where I think and correct me if I'm wrong, David. You know, where we're at right now is like a, it's we're in a refinement stage of you know what's going to be electric frack. 
And really at the end of the day, and this is where I want you to interject if I'm wrong here, David, is that the pump was, it's never the pump was always kind of the limitation if you talk to an OFS guy, right? But at the end of the day, it was, it was how the pump was driven, which mm-hmm. is by the engine and transmission. Right. And so now we're truly at an age now where we have complete horsepower available to drive the pump. And so now we're figuring out what these pumps can actually do. Yeah. Yeah. Fair statement? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, that, and, that parity, right? I mean, that parity between power and pump size is something that wasn't before, yeah, right? And right. with the new gearbox you mentioned, also, the pump doesn't care what it gets. Just like my motor. That's exactly right. right. So the gearbox is designed to take that full load, plus the safety factor on top of that. With the gearbox we have now, yeah. I mean, the pump doesn't, like I said, the pump does not care. Right. It really does not. So you can put whatever you want to it, and it's going to perform like it's designed to. Nice. So nice. Right. We're excited. Yeah. We're no. Excited. No. It is. I mean, it's and, a, and you guys. I mean, you know, for hydraulic frack in general. I mean, I see you guys everywhere. I see your pumps. Like anytime you see a rig and somebody showing off a rig, your pumps on there. I mean, it's yeah. amazing what you guys have been able to do. Really. Yeah. Well, so. we're we're proud. That's all we do. I mean, we design pumps. We don't do anything else. We are. We're pumps, we're aftermarket, we're fluid ends and consumables. Right. And we do it well. Excellent. And, and we've been doing it for 150 years. So you have. Years. For so sure. We have a name behind us. So, awesome. Well, so. David, thank you so much for You're being welcome. on the show today. Thanks for having me on. Shane, this is it. This is the end oh, of season know, one, man. I'm a little misty out here, man. This is uh, <laughs> my 15 minutes of fame or You're it's like, gone. You'll be all right. You know, but hey, I think we're passing on the baton. The, the oil field's in a great place. And at the end of the day, I really appreciate being a part of this. Yep. David, thanks for having Absolutely. me on, man. Glad appreciate to be you on. Being Thank here. you. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Perfect. All right, guys. All right. See All right. ya. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's guest. If you have any questions related to today's episode, please email us at oetpodcast at worldoil.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Joliet Electric Motor that's been providing an engineered custom motor solutions for the oil field for over 30 years. If you have any questions related to your motor needs, please email me at shaneh at joliettelectricmotors.com. Electric Motors.com.